1: When it comes to turning your mic off mute, I fail. (laughs) We all fail, don't we? Who's forgotten a birthday? (laughs) You only do it once. Um, What about you lost your keys? Man, you guys are pretty good. Yeah. Um, Okay, parents. Have you ever gone to punish a child? (laughs) Sometimes even have the punishment like has been enacted, whatever the punishment is, only to realize that you've punished the wrong child? <laughs> yeah, that's an awkward one, isn't it? Um, have you ever left a child behind? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was me. Okay, <clears throat> we, we, we all make mistakes, don't we? We all, we all mess up. We make mistakes as parents, as individuals in life. There's times where we just make mistakes. Today, we're going to look at Scripture and how, does, how we see that even in a mistake, God can do something good. Even in mistakes, God can do something good. We're going to pray and we're going to dive in. Heavenly Father, we just pray this morning as we look at at some of the mistakes we see of parents and those with you know, authority within Scripture, I pray that we would take A little bit of heart as parents knowing that there are going to be times when we make mistakes. But even in the midst of that, when our hearts are true, when we turn to you, there is a powerful story yet to be written. written. God, we just pray that you would speak to us where we need to hear it the most this morning as individuals and as your church. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Today is the the last message in a series. It's a family series called Ready, Set, Go. It's kind of got a bit of a a race theme sort of happening to it. And and week one, we talked about, well, if you're going to run a race, you need to know where the the finish line is. So you've got to start with the end in mind. And so for those that have kids or authority over kids, what does it look like to run a race? What does it look like to race the the goal, the, the finish line, which is spiritually healthy adults? What does it look like to raise spiritually healthy adults? And to do that, we need to have some spiritual boundaries so that we have spiritual healthy children in order for them to grow into spiritually healthy adults. So there's some boundaries, some frameworks. And then week two, we started talking about where do we start with that? We know that we want spiritual healthy adults. We know we want them to, to follow Jesus. So what do we do today? What does it look like now? And we looked at a passage in scripture and Jesus quoted the passage himself when he was asked what's the most important rule, commandment in life. And in Deuteronomy 6 we read, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And When Jesus quoted it, he added, added the, the word mind, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this idea of just being all in for God with everything you got, just being it's everything you got right now, just be all in for God. And, and when you're all in for God, what you start doing is you start living by example for your kids and those you have influence over. You, you can't stop being a Christian when you leave church because you're still a Christian. You're all in for God. You're a Christian at your workplace and your sports place, wherever. And then, then we put a, a real practical uh, application to that last week and we looked at the table. We looked at the, the dinner table. What does it look like to bring God into the center of your table as you have meals, as you talk about the things of life? But what does it look like for for even those that that don't have kids or influence on a daily basis? What does it look like for you to open up your table to others, to be able to bring others into your home? As Jesus modeled so clearly when he he shared around the communion table, but also when he he invited himself to Zacchaeus' place, which I still can't stop smiling when I think he invited himself over somewhere else, which is cool. Week three, three today. The, the last message in the series. We look at, we've got the, we've got the start line, we've got the finish line. But in a race, there's corners and turns, right? There's twists and turns. There's like uneven ground sometimes. Depends on the race. And we know that life is tough. So it's sort of like more like a cross country than a, than a nice flat sprint. And in a cross country, there's divots, there's potholes, there's barriers, there's wrong turns. There's all sorts of stuff that can take place. And that's life. So what does it look like to? to face the, the wrestles of life, but also the failures when you trip over, when you stumble, and you've got to get back up. Today we've got two uh, key verses that we're going to be looking at so if you've got your Bibles with you they'll be up on the screen of course. but if you've got your Bibles with you or if you're a note taker, um, to, to preempt this we're looking at first Samuel chapter 2, which is our Old Testament passage and then we're going to be also looking at uh, Luke chapter 2, which is our New Testament. So Old Testament is first Samuel chapter two, and we'll get to the verses in just a moment, but if you can get that queued up if you want to read along um, in the New Testaments, Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> We've got some different characters in these stories. In In, in Samuel chapter 2, uh, 1 Samuel, what we see is there's a priest called Eli, and he's from the tribe of Levi. I've got no more rhymes. I was, should have some more rhymes with that. But anyway, his name's Eli from the tribe of Levi, and the tribe of Levi were the... the the tribe that were in charge of the church, the, the temple, the tabernacle. And they, t- they were given really strict rules on how they were to live, how they were to prepare the sacrifices, how they were to go through their, their daily routine. Because at the end of the day, the way they lived was the way that other people could have their sins forgiven. This is before Jesus, before Jesus died on the cross. So if you did something wrong and you wanted your sins forgiven, you need to go to the temple and bring your sacrifice, and that would be sacrificed a certain way, and in doing so, God would say, I can see your heart, I can see you're sorry, I forgive you. But when, when, when it was done wrong, it actually meant that people weren't being forgiven because they weren't following the rules. So if, if, you got, if you messed up or you slipped up or you made a mistake, it's pretty serious stuff. So firstly, we see Eli is this prophet, and he's in charge of the temple. And really, sadly, he had some sons, and it was their job to carry on the work of the temple. And we see in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, that the sons of Eli were men of no worth. They did not know the Lord. It's a new living translation. The other translations say that they were of no character, they were rebellious, they were wicked, or they had no regard for God. And in doing so, they, they were doing these actions where they were actually using their place of authority to get gain. They, they were perverting what the tabernacle, the temple was for, and when people were offering sins, they were taking meat and taking stuff and ripping people off. And, and in doing so, their sins weren't being presented before God the way that he wanted them to be. They're doing the wrong thing. So we've got Eli, this priest, and we've got these sons. That's the first part of the story. But we also have another character, which the book's named after, called Samuel. Pretty cool name. Where's Sam? Yay! And guitar. Samuel. He played guitar at the temple. No, he didn't. He didn't. Sam did, but not Samuel. So... Samuel, Samuel's backstory is pretty interesting. There's this mother, right, called Hannah, and she's, she can't have kids. And it, it's like, a socially, it's pretty awkward when you can't have kids because that was part of the culture. Your family was sort of your legacy and, and your identity. And she couldn't have kids, and so she's at the temple, and she's just weeping. She's so upset she can't have kids. And, and, and Eli sees her and says, you know, man, you're really losing it here. What's, are you drunk? Like, what's going on? She goes, no, no, I'm, I'm, I want to have a child. And he goes, God's just quickened to me that you're going to have a kid. And she goes, well, if I have a kid, I'm going to give it back to God because that is a miracle because I can't have kids. And so she has this child, Samuel, and she brings the child to the church, the, the temple, and says, I give this child back to God to, to be raised in the church, to serve God. I'm so thankful for, that I now have a child. So we see this, this other character. So have got Eli, his sons, Hannah, and this young boy. Called Samuel. First Samuel chapter two in verse eighteen says, Now Samuel was serving the Lord even as a boy. And it talks about what he wore and that sort of stuff. And it goes on about their praying and how Hannah had some other kids. And then in verse 21, we actually see that she had some more sons. But as Samuel serves God in the temple, he grows, he grew up to serve the Lord. So we see that that he's he's serving God, he's serving the Lord. He's in this context, this environment where he's he's focusing on God, he's wrestling with questions, he's serving all the time. We then fast forward a little bit, and we go through a bit bit of time passes. And now we're 1 Samuel 2, and verse 22, and we see this. Now, Eli is very old, so he's not a young dad anymore, He's not sort of a middle-aged dad. He's, he's an old dad. And, and he heard that his sons, what they were doing for Israel, and how they lay with the women who served at the door of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? The sinful things I hear from all these people. No, my sons. He's telling them to be sorry. He's trying to pull them up. The news is not good which I hear from Lord's people. If a man sins against another, the Lord will help make peace with him. But how can you make peace? Uh, but if a man sins against the Lord, how can you make peace for him? Yet they would not listen to what their father said, for it was the Lord's will to kill them. Now that doesn't mean that God like set out from the start. I want to I want to punish these guys. What it means is that that when he was telling them when they were young, either Eli didn't tell them off early enough, either that happened, or it's too late. Because he's an old man. He's missed it. They have been doing this for years. They've been doing the wrong things. They've been blocking the the forgiveness of a whole nation because of what they've been doing. It's been doing these terrible, terrible things. And Eli says, you know, now I want to start with the end in mind, but it's already the end. It's too late. He's telling them that it's wrong, but they're not going to listen. The damage has been done and there's a consequence. And God had already passed judgment. It was too late. Eli messed up. And it's tragic that his adult sons made their own decisions, and the decision was not to follow God. They didn't know him, they didn't obey him, and they did the wrong things. Yet in verse 26 we read, Now the boy Samuel, though, grew in wisdom. uh, Grew in Samuel grew and was in favour with both the Lord and men. So we see a contrast here of Eli is raising Samuel, who's not his son, and he's got his kids. His kids, he's messed up. But his son, this guy Samuel, is not his son, he has an opportunity to invest into. And Samuel grows up right. I don't know if Eli learned his mistake and said, hey, I'm not going to make that mistake again. We don't know. But Eli invested into Samuel. And he grew in favor with both the Lord and men. The reason, one of the things I love about this story is sometimes we go, well, you know, not my kid, not my problem. You know, you know? or maybe it's like, well, my kids are all adults. Or maybe, maybe I don't have kids yet. Yet we see here, Eli in his old age invests into young Samuel invests into him, cares for him, loves him. He says, I don't want you to turn out like my sons. I want to raise you right. And and he grew in favor with both the Lord first and then with others. We now get to this New Testament story, which is a a story of when Jesus was young. And Jesus is only 12 years old, we read in this story. And and what we see is in Luke chapter 2, verse 41, it says that every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they met. They went up to the festival according to their customs. Now, when they say went up, like this is the extended family. This isn't just like the group of you know, three or four of them. This is like... This is all the, all the cousins and uncles and aunties. There is a huge group, you know, potentially like 100 or hundreds of them, all journeying together to Jerusalem to, to celebrate, because God wants us to, to celebrate how good he is and what he's done, um, to go to this giant party, this celebration, to remember how God loved them and, and passed over them in Egypt and delivered them out of that country, like incredible celebrations. And, and so he's is, is with this group of people. And they're traveling away. After the festival was over, over, verse 43, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Now, what we believe is that they just assumed that Jesus was with the cousins. He was hanging out with the nieces and the nephews and the cousins and because that's what family does, right? Family looks after one another, and so he's just being looked after. That's all good. That's the assumption. Who knows where Jesus was? Who knows the story? Yeah. He's at the temple. He's, at, he's much like Samuel. He's in a place where he can learn. He's in a place where he can ask questions. The scripture actually says that, that it took a few days for him to find him. And after three days, verse 46, they found him at the temple courts, sitting amongst the teachers and listening to them and asking questions. And everyone who had heard from him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So for three days, he's just in the zone. He's just at the temple, just asking questions of the priests and the leaders. He's just, he's, he's giving answers. Does this mean this? If that means that, does this mean this? Is this, and wrestling through it. And they're just like, wow, this kid is switched on. 12 years old. Wow. Now, what I love about this story is that while this is happening for three days, because it took about a day and a bit for his parents to realize that he wasn't with them, his parents are searching frantically for him. Like, I reckon I've left my kids here a couple of times for like a total of 10 minutes. (laughs) It's like, they left the Messiah for three days. Like, this makes me feel so good as a parent, because there's times when I've dropped my kids on their head, but I didn't leave the Messiah away for three days, right? I didn't lose the Messiah. Um, I know my parents, when I was young, I fell out of a truck and landed on my head. It didn't affect me at all, because when I was young, I fell out of the truck and I landed on my head. <laughs> Bad. Um, but, <laughs> but we can actually see, it's like, wow, this is terrible, what's going on? Oh, oh. Now, the, the verse goes on to say that, that when Jesus is, when they find him, they're like, there you are. <laughs> And Because Jesus knew who he was at the age of 12. He knew that he was the son of God. He knew that he had a purpose. He was starting with the end in mind. He had his direction. And his answer in verse 49 was, Why were you searching for me? Why were you searching for me? He asked. Did you not know that I'd be in my father's house? Now, parents, of course, they're pretty emotional because they, they've been looking for three days. They don't know where they're going to find him. In verse 50, they did not understand what he was saying to them. And they went down to Nazareth, where they lived, and he was obedient to them. Now, the word obedience, like, probably put in there because it's like, do not leave us again. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> do not wander off. Yeah? We, we don't even understand why you're at the temple. You should be with us. Is the, like, what's going on? It says, Mary treasured all these things your inner heart. And it goes on to say in verse 52 that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and with favor with God and men. You see, it's interesting that when we see that Eli failed with his own children, Joseph and Mary left the Messiah behind. Left him. Both stories of, of failure. Both stories of whoops, both stories of, of times where you'd be thinking, like, can you imagine Eli before God going, I'm so sorry. What have I done? I'm so sorry. Can you, can you picture Mary and Joseph as, like, um, the hope of the world? Whoops. Like, so sorry. We've lost, the, we've lost the Savior for all humankind. Like, oh, wow, this is terrible. Yet through, through mistakes, through errors we see God can do something amazing. Both in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we see in verse 26, Now the boy Samuel grew and was in favor with both the Lord and men. And in Luke 2, 52, when Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, was in favor with God and men. Even in the mistakes, when you are positioned in the right place, God can make a way. Even when we're going to mess up, there's there's space to position yourself in a place where God can can make up the difference for the mistakes that we make. Now it's no no aside, it's no mistake, it's no accident that it's the temple, it's the church where everything's made right. It's the church that that things are restored. It's the church that that Samuel gets his granting. It's the church that that people are amazed with with Jesus as, yes, he's the son of God, and he knows that, but he's 12 years old. He's got some learning to do, and, and he's wrestling with this, and it's the power of the body of Christ is when one of us is weak, another one is strong. When one of us isn't able to, to, to walk for ourselves, someone can carry us. It's When we are together, we are complete. When we're apart, we're fragile. And you see, that there's this beauty in these stories of there's mistakes, yet there is God honoring and there is a goal that is in mind that they've set their eyes on and they're heading towards. Now, in all these these two stories, Samuel and Jesus haven't made mistakes. Like they haven't done the wrong thing. They're, they're doing right. But sometimes we we are the one that have done the wrong thing, right? Like sometimes it's we we've made the mistake. It's yep. Eli probably made a bit of a mistake with his sons, but Samuel didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes it's us that make the mistake because we all mess up. There's an incredible parable that Jesus told, which has a The power of confession, of confessing the mistakes that we've made and how when we we bring the mistakes that we've made before God, there is is a a beauty and a release um, before God in moving forwards and being who God's called us to be. See, in this story, there is a son that has rejected his father and the son that said, actually, I'm not just going to reject you. I wish you were dead. I want nothing to do with you. I want to live my own way. And as quite often happens, when you live your own way, it ends in destruction. And he ends up bottom of the barrel. like everything. He's got nothing left. Just living, He's about to eat pig food. It's shocking. And then all of a sudden he goes, hey, but I remember that my dad loves me. And so I'm going to go back to him. But I know that I've said that I wished he was dead, so I can't come back as his son. And I know that what I've done is actually wrong before God as well. And so God first, my father second, he starts to rehearse this this speech in his head. Like, I'm so sorry. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm so sorry. I, I don't deserve anything. Could I just be one of your servants? Could I just do this? And full of repentance. In Luke chapter 15, verse 21 the son meets the father and he, he cries out, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he, gets, he sort of gets through part of the speech. And what I love about the way Jesus tells the parable is that even while he wasn't even at the house, while he was a long way away, the father runs to him and embraces him and cuts him off mid-speech. It says, yeah, my son that was dead is now alive, was lost and now is found. And he loves him and embraces him. Now, that that acceptance starts with an apology. The acceptance comes with turning away from what we're doing and coming back to God. You see, in life, there's going to be corners, there's going to be rough roads, there's going to be potholes. We we really know that there's going to be potholes. We're pretty familiar with that in Ballarat. There's going to be speed bumps. There's going to be accidents. That's life. When we think of of the experiences that we've had, when we think of what our kids go through or the next generation, we look at the future, we know that there's going to be corners. It's going to be rough. Jesus says, in this life, there will be trouble. So when you face trouble, you go, oh, yeah. (laughs) That's what Jesus said. Yeah? Yeah? So the question is, well, what do, how do we win this race then for ourselves and for our kids? How do we win the race? If there's going to be mistakes, there's going to be mess-ups, we, we're going to fail. What does it look like? Well, firstly, it's got to start today. Whatever it is that we're doing, the, the thing that, that's going to make the change is don't put it off if you want to win the race. We've got to start today. We've got to be all in. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul your mind and your strength, you've got to be all in for God. With everything that you've got, you can't leave little bits away. You've just got to do the work to give it all to God. It starts now. It starts today. You've got to start with the end in mind, going, this is the goal. This is the direction for my life. It's the direction for my kids' life. This is where I want them to go. It might be a part of your culture and your priorities. So from this day forward, I want my kids to grow up in the church. That means you've got to come to church as much as possible every single Sunday. The stats show that your kids are pretty likely to half what you do when it comes to church attendance. And the current stats in Australia say that most, kids will t- most families come to church one in six weeks. That means that your kids, if you follow that trend, will come to church every three months. And their kids will come every six. Two generations. If you turn up to church every six weeks, that's the, trage- that's the trajectory. Can't even say the word. It's horrific. If we want our kids to grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men... Man, we've got to plug him into the body of Christ. And when I say church, I'm talking small groups. I'm talking after school, like youth. I'm talking kids' programs. I'm talking out with Yorkie kids running crazy stuff. It's, it's coming and get involved in the, the different clubs that are running around. It's, it's being in a small group in your home. That's church. It's not just the Sunday experience. There's, there's other parts to being plugged into the body of Christ. It's hanging out with brothers and sisters in Christ and doing the work. It starts today. Don't put it off. It starts now, for the sake of your kids and the future generations, and for yourself. The second thing is we've got to review this daily. The Bible says, "Take up your cross daily." We've got to review it daily. Now, now I've, I'm no sale salesperson. That's not the wrong one. Sales, salesman, no. Ship driver, sailor. That's the one. See, salesperson, <laughs> salesman. See, sales. Yeah, sailor. Anyway, I'm not that. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot drive boats. <laughs> um, but this is the way I understand it, right? If you've, got, if you've got your bearings and you're starting with the end in mind, you know where you're going, you're in the ship, you're heading off, you know, you've got your direction, you're all good, then a storm happens, right? Because there's going to be twists and turns and potholes and corners and storms of life. That's what happens. And all of a sudden, you get off course, And there's a shift. You're not going straight. There's just a a little shift and the boat's heading in a different direction. Now, if you head in that direction for like 10 minutes and you you realize and you set, you renew, you find that goal again, and you correct, it's no big deal. That's life, right? And, And chances are there's no straight path in life. Life is like that. The twist in turns is you correct and you realign, and you find your bearings once again. But like Eli's sons, you leave that go, and you leave that go, and days become weeks, weeks become months, months become years. And all of a sudden, you are nowhere near where you're meant to be going, and your life is headed for a shipwreck. Daily, we've got to get our bearings we come to a point where I say, hey, am I on the right track? Am I all in for God? Is there an area that I need to, to, to say sorry about? Is there an area that I need to, hey, work with my kids on to help them become the adults that I'm calling them to be? And lastly, we've got to do it together. We're not meant to do this alone. Jesus did things in community. The table was a representation of the home when he reclined with his disciples and he taught them about communion, about bringing Jesus into the center on a daily basis. It gives us an opportunity to do life together because together we are stronger. Together we are united. Together we are the body of Christ. This morning I want to challenge us as the church family for the sake of not just this generation but for generations to come. To make a decision today, to start today to be all in for God. Both for ourselves and our own personal relationship, but also to model that to our kids. To make a decision today to review daily how we're going in our walk. To get our bearings so that if we do start wandering, we don't do more damage as we head away from that, that place where God wants us to be. And to realize that, hey, sometimes we can't do it on our own. Sometimes we're just getting smashed. Sometimes you can't see stuff because you're in the storm and you need someone else to to call out or to set up a lighthouse and to show you the direction. We do this together. One of my deep desires of my heart here at Yorkie is that in 10, 20, 30 years' time, we will look back and when I say we, I mean us. We will look back at the kids that are out in that room and in this room and go, There is a generation that is growing in wisdom and stature and favour with God and men because they plugged in and we modeled to them and we loved them and we cried for them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are your church and that united we are stronger united, we are able to do far more than what we can on our own. Heavenly Father, when we think of this journey called life and the twists and turns that we're going to face, Lord, I pray that we would do it knowing that we've got each other's backs, that we are supporting one another, that we are carrying one another. Lord, that when one of us is weak, another one is strong. Lord, I pray that we would model to these beautiful children that are growing up in and through the church currently, but also in the future, for generations to come, that we would stand firm for you, that we would live out our faith, that we would love extraordinarily, and that we would become the church that you've called us to be, that values families and reaches communities beyond its own. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: If you would like prayer or to find our sermon-based studies, please head to our website or check the description below for a link. If you enjoyed the video, feel free to share the video, like, subscribe and hit the bell icon for updates of when we release new videos. Remember, life can be tough, so let's do it together.